Hello and welcome to Little Yo Pod Campfire Stories, the supplement to the All Things Yosemite podcast. I'm Laura Jackson, an interpretive guide who has lived and worked in the park since 2004, and I'm here to share stories and features of Yosemite and the Sierra Nevada that I have found compelling for my time there. So I know I say that I am an interpretive guide in Yosemite, but that is a bit misleading because I am not currently in Yosemite, nor am I currently working as an interpretive guide. I'm not working as anything right now. <laughs> Let me explain. Um, I left Yosemite last November to take the winter off and spend it with my family in Portland, Oregon, with the plan to return in the spring. This is not unusual. A lot of people take the winter off, um, as most jobs there are seasonal. Um, well, we all know what happened next. My arrival date in the park was set off or set for the beginning of April and then COVID happened and of course turned everything upside down for everyone. So I'm still here in Portland. Um, I'm not really sure what this year is going to look like or if I will even be going back to work in Yosemite. Although the situation I am in is a good one. I am healthy. I'm with my family. Um, it's still really upsetting to not be going back to the place I've called home for the last 15 years of my life. I miss Yosemite and I miss the mountains and most of all, I miss my friends. Fortunately, however, I do have a friend here in Portland, one of my oldest friends, in fact, and someone I met my very first week when I came to Yosemite back in 2004. We haven't been able to see each other during COVID until this last week, even though we only live eight miles apart. But since social distancing started to relax a little bit, we decided to meet and have a couple of beers on a park bench uh, during a lovely spring afternoon. And after some drinks, we started reminiscing, as we often do, about Yosemite. We are officially old. She mentioned a story from our first few days in the park and said that she tells it to her nieces and nephews all the time, and sometimes even around a campfire. I knew the story she was referring to. I have heard it many times. I hear it often because I have stopped telling it. (laughs) And upon my refusal, someone invariably says, okay, then I'll tell it. That's what happens with stories like this one. It's my story, but like any great story that you've been asked to tell a million times, I got tired of telling it, so I stopped. And eventually, I heard my own story being told by people who weren't even there, which makes it even stranger. But when my friend mentioned it to me on the park bench the other day and said that she loves to tell it, I requested she tell it to me, her version, because she was there too. This week on Little Yo Pod, I'm going to tell the story that will hopefully save the effort of my father's rendition of it at every family gathering henceforth. I'm going to tell the story about the time I punched a bear. To say I was a fish out of water when I first arrived in Yosemite would be putting it mildly. I was completely out of my element and unprepared for the reality of living in a tent cabin in the woods with a bunch of strangers. I was coming for my first year living in a major U.S. city, which I had fully embraced. And as my freshman year of college was coming to an end, I started to wonder what I would do with the summer. I had a friend who had remained at home during the school year, and I knew she was anxious to do something else. And my parents had just moved from my hometown to a terrible place that shall not be named. So I was not eager to go home to that either. So when I mentioned working in a national park to my school pals, she leapt at the opportunity. 
Before we left for what felt like summer camp, we went shopping to gather some essentials. Soap, shower caddies, flip-flops, and, of course, lawn chairs. I picked out the most garish chair I could find, bright pink with plastic tubing. I had learned from my days camping in the desert with my extended family that ugly chairs did not get stolen as often, and uh, people, especially some of the men in my family, wouldn't be caught dead in a pink deck chair. I seriously underestimated Yosemite culture, and I had yet to meet my first dirt bag. When I arrived in Yosemite, I had my rolling suitcase and bright pink chair in tow and found I was expected to lug all of my belongings by myself through the dusty pine needle filled campground to find my home, a canvas tent cabin with four beds, a couple of dressers and a nightstand. Oh my God, I thought I've made a huge mistake. I looked around at my accommodations and considered my luggage, which at that time contained my favorite party dress and a few pairs of high-heeled shoes. But after a minor freakout, I started to lean into my situation. Before long, I was meeting my neighbors, other employees there for the summer, and starting to feel more at home. I found out who the person was who laughed at me that first night as I tried to roll my suitcase through the dirt, collecting a giant pile of pine needles along the way. She said she had done the same thing. I quickly realized that every person there was on the same weird level, and regardless of who we were or where we came from, we were immediately a part of a community. We were the Yosemite Summer Class of 2004. The work was lousy, the hours sucked, it was hot, it was dusty. We were sharing every moment with each other. There was no place to cook. The bathrooms were filthy moments after the daily disinfecting. Back in those days, Old Boys Town was the employee housing area for most new kids. What a dump. I remember opening the refrigerator in what was supposed to pass for the kitchen. One refrigerator for over 100 people. <laughs> it was filled with expired food, pizza boxes, and something that appeared to be growing new life. But honestly, I couldn't have been happier. Every day was something new and unexpected. I had never met such people. People from all over the country and all over the world put together and becoming instant friends in the most unlikely of ways. I don't think it would have worked anywhere else, but in Yosemite, nothing mattered except the present moment and present company. Hey guys. I want to take a minute to tell you about the podcast hosting site, Buzzsprout. Anyone who knows me knows that I am obsessed with podcasts and I've always wanted one of my own. But the thing that held me back for far too long was how to get started. It seemed really complicated and honestly, it kind of is. That's why I was excited to find the podcast hosting site, Buzzsprout. The site is super user-friendly with step-by-step -step guides to getting your own podcast out of your digital files and into podcast land. Within a week of signing up, I had my first episode of Little Yo Pod up and running on all the major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. But that's not all. Buzzsprout also offers an attractive hosting site for your podcast, fast customer support, and tons of tutorials and advice on how to create great content and build your audience. There's really no better time to start a podcast, and Buzzsprout is here to help you every step of the way with plans starting as low as $12 a month. And right now, they're offering a $20 Amazon gift card when you sign up for a paid plan by following the link in today's show notes. 
Join Little Yo Pod and over 100,000 other creators who made their podcasting dreams come true with Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout, make podcasting possible. And now, back to the show. Every day we went to work, and every night we gathered around the stump. A literal wooden stump at the center of a circle of people that would sometimes be 30 strong. One person would announce that someone asked them, when we turn off the waterfall? To which someone else would reply, yeah, someone asked me that too. And everyone would laugh. These conversations went on until one or two in the morning. Then most of us would find our way to bed. This was also the time that our nocturnal neighbors would emerge to find what little morsels we left behind for them, as our stump also served as our dining room table. My Portland friend remembers many nights hearing the skittering and sniffing not only of raccoons, but what could only be members of the community of black bears in Yosemite Valley. Bears were much more common in the campgrounds back in those days, and nightly break-ins of tents and cars were common after years of becoming habituated to human food. For some reason, however, they seemed to favor our tent more than others in the area. It was soon discovered that one of our newer roommates had packed her entire summer supply of food in her suitcase and had stashed it under her bed. Perhaps because of that, we had many nocturnal visitors over the next few days. We would see them poking their heads around corners of tents and through trees as the nights wore into the late hours, but they seldom made such a bold appearance if anyone was present. I don't remember what specifically led up to the event. The nights blend together at this point. But I do remember that I was in my chair, the pink chair with the plastic tubing. And on this particular night, sleep crept up on me before I could make it to bed. I know I was hanging out with people and most of them had gone, but there were a couple of us who just fell asleep outside around the stump. No problem. Someone from night security would shake us awake and send us to bed eventually. (laughs) Gosh. (laughs) And that was probably who I thought was approaching me that night as I slumbered next to the stump. I heard the footsteps, soft at first and getting closer to me, and waited for the hand on my shoulder. But the footsteps stopped right next to me, and then they were still. So this seemed really creepy, but I didn't want to open my eyes to invite an interaction with someone who was possibly under the influence of something. So I kept my eyes shut. But whoever it was didn't go away. So I opened my eyes and I looked up, stars above me, but no person. Then my eyes drew down to look straight ahead. You know that scene in Jurassic Park when the kids shine the flashlight in the eye of the T-Rex and her eye dilates for a second before all hell breaks loose? Well, in this situation, the eye I was staring at belonged to a 500-pound black bear. It was inches from my face and his snout was nearly touching my belly as he searched me for signs of life. I'm not going to say I can read the thoughts of animals, but the look in his eye told me everything about what he was thinking, because it was the exact same thing that I was thinking. Oh, Everything happened very fast after that. His eye focused on me, and in an instant I was screaming at the top of my lungs. He awkwardly started to stumble backwards, but not before my hands went flying up to my head to cover my face. And then it happened. In all the commotion, I felt my knuckles land him square in the jaw. I had just punched a bear.
This is where my Portland friend reminded me of a part of the story that I had somehow forgotten. In my memory, I punched the bear and the bear had performed this really cool crouching tiger hidden dragon move where he leapt backwards 30 feet in a single bound. But she told me that although it was not quite so theatrical, my next move was still clever. I turned that ugly chair over on top of me and used it as a shield. I did that, I asked her the other day while we were chatting. Yeah, she said. She told me it was really smart. I was smart. The girl from San Francisco who showed up in Yosemite with a party dress and high heels did something smart. Maybe I wasn't such a fish out of water after all. After the initial shock, the bear slowly lumbered away from our camp while I continued screaming hysterically, waking up anyone with an earshot. I ran into the nearest tent and flicked on the light. Bear! I yelled. There was a bear! Yeah, we know they laughed. It wasn't really that big of a deal after all. Bears were out every night. No, I continued. I punched him in the face. They laughed even harder. It wasn't that they didn't believe me. They believed me all right. It was just that feeling we all had back then. Every day was a new adventure. Anything was possible. Anything could happen. That whole summer was like a dream. Nothing made any practical sense. We were living in squalor. We were performing menial work. We were eating like crap and staying up too late. We were all out of our element, but we were in heaven. The reality of adult life hadn't yet hit most of us. No careers, no kids, no major debt, no mortgages, no pandemic. No things were still to come. Most of the people I met that first summer did move on to start careers and have families and buy homes. But this little fish stayed in the pond. The most unlikely of the bunch to end up calling the mountains home. But I had to stay because I couldn't stand to be away from it after that. My heart ached for Yosemite then, just as it does to this day. I miss the old times and the innocence of it. Sometimes we don't realize we're living in the good old days until they're behind us. And although the time around the stump was short and so long ago, I find myself sitting on a park bench with a beer and a friend and remembering them as some of the best days of my life. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Little Yo Pod Campfire Stories. If you like this episode, please tell a friend and subscribe to Little Yo Pod so you never miss a future episode. If you'd like to contact me with any questions, comments, or concerns, or if you have a fun story you'd like to share in a future episode, you can email those to me at littleyopod at gmail.com. And you can also like the Little Yo Pod Facebook page for updates, as well as photos and other resources for Little Yo Pod and Yosemite National Park. And I think this week I'll probably include some of my favorite pictures of black bears that I've taken over the years. My uh, apology <laughs> to that community for my terrible crass behavior. This week's fun fact, while we do not shut off Yosemite Falls, we do get that question quite often, when do we turn off the waterfalls? And I'm not sure where this idea started, but I'm guessing it comes from the fact that many waterfalls in Yosemite, including Yosemite Falls, are fed by snowmelt, which means that they um, essentially dry up every year. While Yosemite Falls will run really strong in the spring and early summer with tons of water coming off of it, it dwindles to just a tiny trickle by autumn. But that doesn't stop us from telling people that it gets shut off at sundown and that they'd better hurry if they want to catch it. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of Little Yo Pod. I'm Laura Jackson. Thanks so much for listening and have a beautiful day. Bye.